0: And welcome back to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. It's time now for our guest line segment, brought to you each week by our good friends at Heartland Catfish. Heartland, producing the finest farm-raised catfish in America. Boy, you talk about farm-to-table. They take it straight from the farm ponds. They process it and get it right to you so you can have it for your cookouts or in some of your favorite restaurants. Restaurants like The Ark in Pell City, Alabama. is the perfect spot if you're headed between Birmingham and Atlanta, Well, you know you have to watch in Pell City. When you get on that bridge that expands over the Coosa River, there's always some blue lights making sure that Charlie's not driving five miles an hour over the speed limit. So you know you have to slow down. Just pull over on the west side of the river on exit 162 and head over to the ARC. Get some of that great catfish. They've got fillets or whole, grilled or fried, and believe me, it's fantastic. That's the ARC in Pell City, Alabama, and they're cooking that great catfish from our friends at Heartland Catfish. And let's go to the Heartland guest line. Former assistant coach Steve Smith here in Startwell from 1990 to 1994, then went on to really build a national power at Baylor. Spent a couple of years over at Auburn with Butch Thompson, now the head coach at Tennessee Tech. And, Coach, we really appreciate you joining us.
1: Thank you. It's, uh, it's a privilege. I, I always like talking to – what I consider to be home folks, uh, Mississippi is is home for me.
0: Yeah, Gulfport native. And, Coach, you, you came back, you played at Baylor, and then coming to Mississippi State in 1990 and then through 1994, that first year going to the College World Series, spent five years under Ron Polk. And, Coach, during that five years you spent at Mississippi State, how did the coaching with Ron Polk, how did that prepare you to go back to Baylor and build that national power?
1: <laughs> that's a good question but you know i i had had before coach polk i'd had two years also with mark johnson who you know i i consider i consider coach johnson and coach polk they're they're the closest things to brothers that i know that coach polk would have and so when i went to when i went there i had been that kid in guffport that had always wanted to play for him and never got that opportunity, and so it was such a surreal feeling for me. I'll never forget driving in the first time when one and I went there. It was just it was one of the weirdest feelings I ever had. I remember the, the, the alumni games when we you know when he would do them, and I knew who the alums were because I had followed those guys. You know I knew Jack Lazorco was. Uh, I mean I'd seen Jack Lazorco pitch against William Carey in Hattiesburg. I I had followed all of them as a kid. And so to see them, and now in the role of an assistant coach, and, you know, it was just a really surreal thing. The first two years that I was there, I was, number one, let me just say this about Coach Polk, as organized and efficient as, as he is and was, the one thing he never really assigned to any coach was the, the role of recruiting coordinator. Uh, he never had, to my knowledge, never did. You know, when I got there, I had been there for a month and I was just, you know, waiting because I, coming from A&M, those guys were just beating it every day recruiting. I mean, the guy over there, Jimmy Lawler was just worked it so hard. You know, they're trying to catch up with Texas back then. And I get into, I get to coach Polk and, and there really was no mention of it. And after about a month, I walked into his office one day. This is probably the first time I ever went uninvited, and I put I put on his desk. It was a, it was a list of about five or six kids that were all in the state of Texas that I knew of, that I had in some cases seen, but felt like they were good fits, you know, potentially for Mississippi State. And he looked at that list, and um, and he looked at me, and he said, as as only he could do it, you know, why would they want to come here? You know, when, you know, they got Texas, they got Texas a and Why in the world would those kids want to come all over here? And I looked at him, I said, Coach, I said, these kids, they're all going to high schools in the state of Texas that are football schools that play baseball. Mississippi State is a baseball school that plays football. And you, you, you can imagine, both you guys can, can really think, well, he loved that. And he flat out did. He, he loved it, and he he looked at me through that list back at me and just said, "Go get them." And you know, he was just he just let me do my thing. You know, the role grew in a couple of years. Joe Hudak left, and I got to take over the pitchers. And so, those last three years there, I'm coaching what I really love, which was the pitching side of it. And I'm really getting to to, to take as much rein with the recruiting as I wanted to. And I think I could have done that. And never thought a moment about being a head coach because I hadn't. I really had never thought about being a head coach. And had it not been the alma mater uh, and why, where my wife was a cheerleader and where we met, I don't think I would have left. I don't think I would have ever left. Uh, and I could have, I could have gone to my grave as a coach with, with working for Coach Volk.
2: You mentioned those players from Texas. If you look, the year after you left, there is a number of Texas guys on the roster. David Hooten was a sophomore. (laughs) Blake Anderson uh, was on there. Scott Tanksley, Ricky Joe Redd. You just kind of go through that roster in 95 and 96. There's a lot of Texas guys. Were those guys that you were in on and kind of going after?
1: Oh, yeah, all those guys. Uh, And others in the first group. You know, obviously the the very first group, there was a first-rounder in there named Todd Ritchie. Signed, uh, and there was another guy. Who was more like a fifth or sixth round guy, and Steve Grawther, and he signed. But you know, there were it kind of opened the door, and and it continues to this day. I mean, they, you know, I, I still say the particularly North Texas and Northeast Texas, those kids. I mean, and, and also with the ballpark and the stadium, the, the way it is right now, it's it's to me, it was. One of the easiest sales I've ever had. It was one of the easiest places to recruit to that I could have ever imagined. You know, it just, what baseball players want more than anything is fans. And my gosh, uh, there wasn't any place then and nor now that would compete with the passion of Mississippi State people for baseball. It has been documented and talked about many times, I think, the, the whole SEC In a lot of ways, owes owes its baseball to Mississippi State.
0: Talking with uh, Steve Smith, former assistant coach and pitching coach at Mississippi State, and Coach, you look back to 1994, the year before you left, and Charlie was talking about that roster in '95, '96. But in 1994, Collegiate Baseball said we have the number one ranked recruiting class in the country. Then all of a sudden you look at 1995 and you start thinking about some of these freshmen, Brad Freeman from Oxford, Mississippi, Dustin Dabs from Tupelo. You look at Barry Patton or Richard Lee or Rob Howswald, uh, Van Johnson, Jeremy Jackson, just so many guys. You left out You left out the best guy. Oh, that's what I was about to say. And how about uh, going down to – Gilbert Town, Alabama, to Patrician Academy. What was it like the <laughs> first time you saw Eric DeBose throw that good hammer breaking ball?
1: Eric DeBose was a camper, all right? So the first time any of us saw him was he came to camp. And in those days, uh, that's changed a lot now, but in those days, you could get, and particularly at State, you could get top-shelf, frontline guys through camp. Which I really think that's kind of why Pokey never had sort of that recruiting coordinator. It was done so much, you know, from his chair right there at camp that going out at that time in that era of baseball wasn't, it just wasn't quite as big as it is now. Now it's huge. But Eric was at camp and, and Eric was a grown man. You know, when he was 18 years old, Eric was a grown man. You know, we we signed him out of camp. Now the real the real thing, and my and the thing that I, I, I when I got to Baylor, I felt like the the last gift, my last contribution to Mississippi State was Eric DeVos, because after you know he got drafted in the fifth or sixth round. I remember calling, you know, after the draft, and uh, and his mom got on the phone, and she just started crying. You know, she just she just started crying. She just she wanted Eric to. You know, going to Mississippi State had been a dream of his. But we hadn't signed him. We hadn't signed him to a really big scholarship. As you guys would know, Coach was pretty uh, judicious when it came to handing out money. And all of a sudden, this kid's gone in the fifth or sixth round, and he's going to have a decision to make. And, you know, it would cost him some money for him to go to school. And, and I remember just telling her, I said, Mr. Boss, I said, I don't think you should worry about that right now. I said, we'll we'll be able to figure it out. And so I went down there. I drove down there, and I learned a lot when I got down there. Number one, he's an only child. Uh, Number two, every member of the extended family lives within 10 minutes of the house. Number three, dad, you know, I think at that time was uh, operating, was in the Coast Guard. He was one of those guys that was on you know, off seven days on seven. So he was out. When I went down there at that time, he was gone. And, you know, we were able to improve his scholarship situation. And when I left there that day, I thought there wasn't any amount of money that, that, that the Los Angeles Dodgers would be able to sign him for. And that proved to be true. And I, I'm, I've just been really cool to see him, you know, even since I've been over to Auburn, I, I, I get to see him more now than ever. And, but I came back in 97, guys, you know, for that regional. I'd been, at, I'd been at Baylor for three years. We didn't get in in 97. We were really kind of getting – we were starting to get there, and we were close, but we didn't get in. And I came back, brought, brought my wife and, and our boys, both of whom had been born there, and we watched that regional. I know you guys remember it. You had Washington and others. The Washington game's the one I remember – Clearly, it was one in which Eric was pitching, and and that whole group out there—Adam Pyatt, the whole bunch of them—that was my that was my crown jewel, really. That was that that group, and I never got to coach any of them. And so it was fun for me to come back and be able to watch them play. And you know, they lost that game on in that winners bracket to Washington, but then they came back and won the whole thing. That was that was a special time. I'm glad I was able to be a part of it. Some of them I've been able to stay clo- you know, closer to than others. Uh, I've followed them. But, yeah, they were that was a real good group of guys.
0: Talking with Steve Smith, former head coach at Baylor, former pitching coach at Mississippi State, 1990 to 1994. You're listening to Out of Left Field presented by Farm Bureau. We're going to come back and we're going to talk to Coach Steve Smith, now the head coach at Tennessee Tech. We'll do that right on the other side of the break. This is Out of Left Field presented by Farm Bureau. And welcome back to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau, Bart Gregory, Charlie Winfield. Let's go back to the phones. Former assistant coach, pitching coach, Steve Smith joins us. Now the head coach at Tennessee
2: Tech. He was here at State 1990 to 1994. Coach, I'm curious. You come in in 1990. Mississippi State was off the heels of a very successful but disappointing 1989. They basically ran through the league, but – Fell short of going to the College World Series. You come in to an experienced ball club. Bart and I have talked about all the seniors who were back on that team. You've got a senior in Tommy Raffo who had had the big year the year before. It seemed like fifth-year seniors all the way around the outfield. How was it walking into Mississippi State into that experienced team that you came into?
1: Well, according to Everett, it was. It was. I was blessed. <laughs> You know, I had come from A&M now. And if you guys remember, it was A&M in Mississippi State back in 89. And if A&M won, ranked number one in the country, Mississippi State was. Both of us got beat in our regionals. We went to the final day of the NCAA tournament in College Station with a record of 58-5 and at A&M. And ran into Ben McDonald and Russ Springer and Paul Bird and Curtis Laskanek. And I don't know who else with the little stubby Bianco behind the dish catching. So when I got to Starpool, I, I was it was really like I was walking in a very similar, you know, situation uh, in that regard. And so but you you nailed it. The the team was so veteran. All three outfielders were twenty-three-year-old fifth year seniors. The third baseman in Burke Masters was a twenty-three-year-old fifth year senior at third, Scotty Mitchell at second, twenty-three-year-old fifth year senior, Raff was a twenty-two-year-old senior at first, the only guys on the field that weren't you know that age was John Shave at shortstop, who was a junior. When you had Bobby Reed on the mound, you had a kind of a fourth-year junior because of Tommy John. Then you had Jim Robinson behind the plate. So it, it was a team. I talk about it all the time. You know, every year I seem to I seem to be reminded of that team because you just don't see that anymore in baseball. If you've got a bunch of fifth-year seniors on your team now, you're not very good. You know, that that group was you know, you had John and left, you had David Mitchell in center, and you had Tracy and right. They were all really good players. But the but the high profile guys from the year before had all signed and I don't know. It was it's the weirdest thing. It's it's why sometimes when you expect you think you should win, you don't, and then other times uh, you do. You guys have you guys I know I've heard Jim Ellis' call a million times on the day that Burke had and, and I still remember what I remember about the last game against Florida State in that regional is the line drive Eddie Perez hit back at Bobby. You know, it was, seems like it was about the eighth inning of that game, and maybe we were up by a run or something, and, and Eduardo Perez was their guy, and he smokes a ball, that if Bobby doesn't catch it, he's going to eat it. Six inches either way, he doesn't catch it, and they probably take the lead and maybe win the game. But that's just how those things go, and that's so how that team got the Omaha, Everett did tell me, I I have to tell you, when we got on the bus to go to the airport, right there at the ballpark, I'm getting on, Everett just looked at me and he says, aren't you glad to finally come someplace that can get you to Omaha? (laughs)
0: <laughs> Only every ever. oh, yeah. coach we're talking with, Coach Steve Smith, and Coach, you were there when when you start talking about some of these big arms. You talk, start talking about Eric Debose, but you think back to a B.J. Wallace, a Carlton lower a Jay Powell. When you see these guys throw, and you know, hey, this guy can throw hard. This guy has a really good breaking ball. But now, in today's age of analytics and how everything is completely changed. From a coaching standpoint, how does it differ in the way you handle pitchers? how you handled a Carlton Lower or a Jay Powell compared to now when you handle a guy knowing the analytics behind the game and spin rates?
1: Well, I'll speak to that from the perspective of having coached the pitchers at Auburn the last two years because I think I think that's when I grew the most in in that regard, and just really to see how the league has changed in twenty five years the quality of the arms throughout the SEC is is just – it's really, really, really good. And the thing that's separate – but the thing that does separate the SEC, in my opinion, from most of the other leagues, the Power Five leagues, is the quality of the position players. The thing that the SEC – and, and I, I look back on the three years there, and I'm sure there were some pretty knowledgeable fans back in those days that, that was well, – they were glad when I left because I probably – screwed up more games than actually impacted in a good way. Now, the league is not a development league. And at my age I was then, I was 30 years old, 27, 30, 27 to about 33 is when I was there. And I was pretty young out of pro baseball. And I still look through the lens of player development when it came to pitching. And bless Coach Polk's heart. You know, there wasn't a lot of days he was into player development. It was, it was more about winning than it was player development. But we also, you know, there wasn't any part, the pressure then wasn't near what it is now. I mean, I mean, you wanted to win, but there really wasn't the pressure on coaches that, that there is in today's game, especially in the SEC. Fans bring accountability to the game. You know, the, the amount of fans you have at State, you know, the beauty of that is no coach has to ever get on a player. No coach has to ever really. I mean, what player is not going to run hard? You know, if you don't run hard there, you're not going you don't have to worry about the coaches. You're going to have to deal with the fans.
2: Coach, we thank you for joining us. Before we let you go, I got to ask you one last question. We talk about the power arms, those big, strong guys out of the bullpen now. You coached a guy who didn't throw that hard, but led the league in ERA two of his four seasons in John Harden. Question Martin mm-hmm. and I like to raise can a John Harden still get guys out in today's game?
1: Yeah, he can, and you know what, guys? John Harden struck out a hundred guys. Go back and look at the number with the year. I think it was him and BJ, but we had two guys on the staff there that struck out a hundred. Golly, dog! I mean, but the thing that John could do, his separation between that changeup and his fastball was—I mean, it was fifty-eight. The, the changeup was a fifty-eight mile an hour changeup, and the fastball was eighty-two, but. The amount of separation of those two pitches was was so big, it just made it really tough. And I loved watching him pitch. I loved I loved calling his game. You know when I did, because John's the kind of guy that he, he was in a better. It was better for John if it, if the count was one zero than it was o one, because you know he could throw the changeup in that one zero count and. They had a hard time dealing with it because nobody. You know, at that point, nobody really did that much. Hitters are all sitting fastball. They don't. They don't. That's the other thing about the league today. The hitters do not come off fastball. They just don't. And if you've got a pitch like his pitch was, you can throw it over and over and over again and have success. And you can do it today if you've got that pitch. You can throw it over and over and over again because these guys are just not going to. They're not going to ever give up hitting the fastball.
0: Coach, we really appreciate you joining us. Good stuff as always. And uh, best wishes to you and your family at Tennessee Tech.
1: Thank you. And and, uh, hello to everybody over there. Tell tell Jim hello when you see him. And hopefully Everett's listening. Love you, Everett.
0: (laughs) And that's Steve Smith, who coached at Mississippi State from 1990 to 1994. Charlie, here's the thing. And we saw this with Butch and Lane a couple of weeks ago. It's amazing the memory of these
2: assistant coaches. The recall is incredible. You hear Steve Smith talk about 1990 like it was yesterday. And the
0: ability to pitch John Harden backwards. And Eduardo Perez, he was right. It was the eighth inning. It was a one-run game.
2: And it was indeed a missile. A missile right back at Bobby Reed. If Bobby Reed doesn't get his glove up, we're calling an ambulance.
0: Either calling an ambulance or the season ends that day and you don't go to the College World
2: Series. And all of a sudden, you think about how everything plays out, that Burke Masters home run, not nearly as big a deal if you don't win that regional. Hey, this was a good
0: show. I enjoyed it. Adam and Wes, those guys, man, just great guys off the field, tremendous competitors on the field. And then Steve Smith, all those memories of the early 1990s. It was a good show.
2: Yeah, that was great.
0: So we appreciate you joining us. As always, we're brought to you by our good friends at Farm Bureau. Go with the home team. uh, Get you some rates at favrates.com. And our thanks to our hardworking agents and adjusters in South Mississippi right now who are still dealing with a lot of issues from those tornadoes from a couple of weeks ago. So for Charlie Winfield, I'm Bart Gregory saying so long. You've been listening to Out of Left Field presented by Farm Bureau.